This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is the chairman of the House Ag Committee, Texas 11th District Representative Mike Conaway. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Mike Conaway next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Markup of the 2018 Farm Bill is scheduled for this week on the House Ag Committee. Chairman Mike Cottaway says his draft proposal offers a delicate balance between available funds and industry needs. We did six listening sessions around the country, Jeff, uh, last summer and fall. And over 300 good citizens stepped to the microphone to talk to us about their perspective of the Farm Bill. Not one person across all the conversations, all the titles, asked for less money. They all wanted more money. And given fiscal circumstances we find our country in, I got no new money. You know, there just there was no new money available. So the good news is I didn't have to cut anything either. I had to just live within the CBO baseline, and we've done that. So uh, hopefully using the wisdom of Solomon, we're able to, to make that happen. With respect to the SNAP title, uh, we kept all of the money at SNAP. I didn't, I didn't uh, harvest any money out of SNAP to put over in the, the other titles and vice versa. And so I kept them on a standalone basis, but very difficult. You know, your listeners have been living the worst five years economically that uh, they've had since the Depression. And uh, the current turmoil with respect to trade and the tariff renegotiations, they're adding additional stresses and, and uh, uh, to their lives. And so, uh, you know, all of us would like to figure out a way to put more money in the commodity title as, exa- as an example, but it just was not available. So we believe we've done the best job we can with the limited resources. I had to come up with money for a new program on the foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. Uh, that had to come out of Hyde. I had to take it up from other, you know, a variety of other places around the farm bill. But that's what my colleagues and I get paid the big bucks for is to make these hard reprioritization you know, decisions. And uh, there'll be some folks disappointed, I know, and hopefully some folks, uh, they're good with what we've done. But uh, we just did the best we could. Picking up with your comments, this is a much different farm economy than when you were crafting the 14 farm bill. Is the safety net? Crop insurance, Title One, is it going to be adequate to protect the producers of the day from the challenges that are around them? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, adequate would be in the mind of, mind of the beholder. But if you look at the performance of the safety net on the 14 Farm Bill with a precipitous drop in commodity prices, uh, the expected spending was in line with what we thought it was going to do. We don't change those titles much. Uh, with respect to the 18 Farm Bill, we would anticipate them to continue to uh, to function. I think it's important that we get this 18 Farm Bill done because if if producers want to flip from ARC to PLC, 
uh, they can't do that unless I get this reauthorization done. And so it may be that given the way those two interact with falling prices and long-term depressed prices, folks want to want to change up their piece of the safety net. I can't get them that opportunity uh, unless we get the farm bill done. From the time that you rolled out HR2 until the time that there is markup in the days of this week, what will be the process? What goes on behind the scenes leading up to the tapping of the gavel? Well, you've seen that duck that's kind of cruising across the placid lake, barely making any kind of ripples, but his feet going 900 miles an hour. So it look a lot like that. <laughs> um, we've got uh, uh, 10 o'clock with the gavel will go down. Uh, the bill detects itself. That's where the, you know, my lawyers and, and the folks that are behind the scenes just been going at it 90 miles an hour for the last two weeks to get to get everything done. You know, make all the sure all the references are good, all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's now been you know printed, bound up, and so there's a bit of a breather for the backside, so to speak. Those of us on the committee will spend uh, this, these next several days studying the bill, making sure we know exactly what it's doing. You know, we've got subcommittees that are involved. Now then, they're, they're, if you're not on a particular subcommittee, you now have access to the stuff that was doing in the other subcommittees. And so it would be a lot of study going on by my, my colleagues, and then uh, Wednesday will be ready to go. There's also uh, drafting of amendments that, uh, that might be offered uh, in the committee. Uh, as you know, the committee, it's an open rule in effect. And so um, while we set a deadline of Monday afternoon at 6, that is uh, just more of a matter of convenience because uh, each member during the markup, quite frankly, has the uh, opportunity under our rules to offer amendments. Do you expect amendments from both sides of the aisle? It's certainly available, and we'll see. I don't know what my colleagues on the Democrat side, what the strategy is going to be. Uh, we'll be ready for whatever it is uh, you know, happens during markup. I've talked to some committees where in the past – Democrats have decided to try to slow everything down and use every parliamentary uh, option to them to slow things down and how that would how you react and move the market through that. That may not be kind of style at all. They may decide just to object to the bill, vote no, and, and move to uh, try to fight it on the floor. Uh, but we'll find that out Wednesday morning. We'll be ready for how, whatever you know whatever needs to be done in the markup. I've got good legal staff in place to advise us as we walk down that path. I uh, told uh, my side, certainly, we're going to stay there until we get it done. If that means 2 a.m. and we're not done, then we'll shut her down and come back at 9 a.m. on Thursday morning to crank it back up. And we're going to get this baby uh, out of committee. Last week on this same show, Representative Peterson suggested that the minority would have some proposals, and some of those would be on the nutrition title. Have you had a chance to speak with him? Are there negotiations going on? Uh, do you think the minority will show up for the meeting Wednesday? Oh, they'll show up. As to negotiations, Colin put out a press release mid-March that said that the SNAP title was non-negotiable. That was his phrase, non-negotiable. And I was just a a simple guy from West Texas. When somebody tells me no, it means no. And when they tell me yes, it means yes. So he told me no back in mid-March, and I've not had one further conversation with him uh, at all about anything. So I don't know who he's negotiating with. Uh, that he says, you know, on that on that issue, but it certainly hadn't been with me, because he told me that it was non-negotiable. If in fact they do want to negotiate and want to make some improvements, absolutely, we're we're ready to get that going because I want this bill to be the best uh, possible. And if it could be bipartisan, yeah, that would be even better. But from mid-March on, when they went to the sidelines, I anticipated that this would be a Republican-only bill. The snap title aside, all of that work, Colin and I worked well together crafting a bill that uh, his members had input into, he had input into, all of the priorities that we could accommodate and we'd agree to before the dust-up over SNAP 
All of that stayed in. I didn't change anything that he and I had agreed to before this uh, impasse over SNAP occurred in mid-March. So all those Democrat priorities are in there. If they vote no, they're going to be voting against their own interests, their own things that they told me were reported to them for their constituents back home. They're going to be voting no. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, if, if the Dems have amendments that would improve what we've done, man, I'm gonna be, I'll be all for it. Do you think that the conflict or the impasse is coming from within the committee? Or, Mr. Chairman, is this uh, pressure that's coming from the leadership above? Cannot tell you that. Uh, anybody can speculate. There's an awful lot of speculation going on. Um, I just know that that we've not been able to replicate the uh, bipartisan work that Lucas and, and Colin did with respect to the 14 Farm Bill when Lucas was trying to negotiate an actual cut to spending in SNAP, an actual reduction in SNAP. I was able to negotiate a zero, uh, fit, you know, just live within the SNAP numbers, and I would have thought it would have been easier to negotiate, just uh, make it SNAP better without cutting uh, funding out of it than it was in 14. So somehow Colin and, and, uh, and Frank were able to negotiate a, a cuts to SNAP in 14, and yet today when I don't have any cuts to have to negotiate, uh, he was unable to negotiate with me on that. So. I just know it's different than it was in 14, but you'll have to speculate your own self as to why. Or ask Colin. There appear to be polar answers. Uh, when when we have a chance to talk to you and, and the majority side, the author of this particular piece, you hear the changes that are proposed for SNAP, and you see how it's a process where individuals can move off of government support and move into employment. From the opposite side, they say the the challenge is really not so much of the work requirement, but just more bureaucracy and taking food away from hungry people. Where's the middle line? Where where do we take food away from hungry people? Yeah, that my my answer exactly. If you're making 130 percent of the of the poverty line or less, if your asset tests are less than what's there, you get food stamps. All right. Now, if you're uh, willing to work, you're willing to train, uh, and you're not a uh, parent of a six-year-old or younger, you're not mentally physically disabled, then you're going to have opportunities for food stamps. So we don't kick anybody off the program uh, per se. Now, there are states out there where the, the number, the 130% of poverty have been raised to 165 or 200, and in those instances, yes, uh, we're going to treat every family in America exactly the same. Uh, and that's uh, with respect to the qualifying for SNAP. With respect to the elderly, their poverty level is 200% of poverty, which is still the case. Our bill is built on the flexibility afforded to states to deal with their 18 to 59-year-old work-capable population that are unemployed or underemployed. We want those folks to get the help they need, but we want them helping themselves. America generally is really big-hearted if someone is willing to help themselves to better their circumstances or to cope with maybe a bad decision they made along the way that got them jammed up. Uh, we want them to uh, have an opportunity to get on that on-ramp to, uh, to success and, uh, and, and find one of those 6.3 million jobs that are unfilled right now uh, within our economy. So the whole idea was to provide training dollars for states to, uh, to, to administer for their own population. I know that Colin and others have made this argument that there's a big bureaucracy being created. I don't know where that is. Um, to try to do something in D.C. that would fit the pistol of all 50 states is uh, a bit uh, arrogant. And so what we say is governors in those states, uh, you have a, a work-capable population of 18 to 59 
that are unemployed, and uh, you need to come up with a plan that how to fix that within the parameters, the broad parameters that we'll set. They've got two years to come up with the plan. The plan focuses on using existing training opportunities, whether it's WIOA, uh, community colleges, whatever those are out there, to fit the jobs that are available within this particular state. Uh, the governor's got the, the flexibility to put that together. He does not need to put together a big bureaucracy. Now, it also includes case management and assessment. So, yes, there will be folks who will be doing that, but there are private providers and others that the states can use that are already in place of doing that to fulfill that aspect of it. So uh, it's easy to make some broad brush kind of, you know, condemnations of things, but uh, quite frankly, um, this is a this is a plan that I believe works, and that uh, you know eighty percent of Americans support requiring people on SNAP who are uh, work capable of actually working. And uh, you know, as I've told other folks, if food stamps are not important enough to you to work for twenty hours a week or more or to train, then that's a decision you get to make for yourself. And, and we're Americans; that's a decision you get to make. And, and I'm not going to force you to take. Uh, help that you don't want is the upper end of that range the 59 is that negotiable i had it at 64 so i've already negotiated down i'm at a point in my life where you know folks are going to work longer i mean we're going to be moving the retirement age up uh, at some point in time to cope with social security we're all living longer and working longer we're all healthier one of the beauties of this job program is that if you've got a person that's in their 50s they may need a new skill set and these job training dollars that we're going to mandate that the states have is focused on that group. And I think those people are probably more diligent and coming to grips with a new set of skills to help themselves out. So uh, we moved it down to 59, which was the current top end already, and probably going to leave it there. Uh, Mr. Chairman, producers complained about inconsistencies in payments of the 14 bill. So what data will be used in this new language, and do you anticipate that it will resolve those issues? Well, yeah, we'll use RMA data across the board instead of uh, MNAS and RMA. We believe the RMA data is more accurate. But the Secretary will have flexibility if, if even the RMA data doesn't work to be able to, to address that because it did cause us a lot of concern over the last three years or so as it's been in place. You'd have desperate you know, payments between counties that are contiguous, and so we're trying to address that. But we believe the RMA data will be better and that will uh, be used to, to make sure we don't have those kind of problems. But we also uh, give the Secretary some flexibility to, to adjust that if, it's, uh, if it makes sense. Were the cotton and dairy policy matters resolved in a spending bill, or is that an area that's going to be revisited at markup? Cotton was done, and we don't touch those provisions. The seed cotton process is in place, and we leave that as is. Colin wanted to change the dairy program. He didn't think it was as good as it could be. Uh, I told him he had to live within the money that was there, and he did. So he made some changes to it that we agreed to. Those changes survived, obviously, everything. So they're in the bill that uh, he'll then vote against, I guess, if he decides to vote no on the bill. Uh, he, he may have picked the fight with Leahy, but I was willing to, to back his play on that because he knows more about dairy. I know more about cotton than he does. He knows more about dairy than I do. And so I was willing to back his play on that if he wanted to pick that fight with uh, Leahy over changing what was done in the, the disaster bill, then uh, I was willing to, to go with him on that. Can you write policy in the House anticipating what the Senate might support or be against with regard to um, leadership on the Senate Ag Committee suggesting that they're not interested in making SNAP program changes perhaps as vast as what's being offered here? Yeah, it creates too many moving parts. Um, I've got, I'm trying to write policy that's good policy just on its face. 
and uh, that I can find 218 votes for in the House of Representatives. So uh, the good news is uh, I don't have to get all the way to that point at this stage. I'm going to get out of committee and then getting it across the House floor. Uh, Pat will do a bill. I'm really confident he will do a bill. And then we'll go regular order, put those two together, begin negotiating the differences, which is the way the system is supposed to work. And so I've got good confidence that Pat and I can work well together to meld the two bills into one. I'm not arrogant or naive enough to think that my bill will be what goes to the president's desk. It will be a blend of what's done in the Senate and the House, as it's always the case. But first steps first, and that is get out of committee and then uh, get out of the House. Given 237 Republicans of the House and that need for 218, how important is that 30-plus votes from the Freedom Caucus? Uh, the CPA are relatively good at math. If the 30 go to the sidelines, that gets me to 207. You know, we're short some seats, so I don't need a full 218, but uh, it's still north of 215. I've had good conversations with Mark Meadows and, and Jim Jordan before the language was available. Uh, they both, to their credit, said they wanted to take a look at what we're doing. They didn't say no out of hand, and I was really tickled with that. And so both of those guys are looking at the details of what we've done. They now have the language. They've got the summary information, all that kind of good stuff. And I would anticipate being able to engage in a more fulsome way with them over the next several days. I've got meetings with the Tuesday group and the Main Street group, and I'll meet with RSC, and I'll meet with the uh, Freedom Caucus guys if they'll let me you know, come, meet, come visit with them at any point at, uh, of their choosing. But uh, looking forward to work with everybody. And so far, I've had... Uh, you know, by uh, the Republican response has been, wow, we, we, we wanted a work requirement. We wanted a strong work requirement. Looks like that's what you're doing, but we need to see the details. And so yesterday afternoon, I started giving them the details. Given the division thus far on party lines in your committee, is there a danger that crop insurance, the sugar program, or other policy might be more vulnerable for attack when the bill makes it to the full floor? Uh, you know, the, uh, that line's been posited, but uh, the way I look at it, Jeff, is the, the, my Democrat colleagues would vote to strip out crop insurance or hurt Title I as a punishment to Conaway because they didn't get their way on the markup. So I, I just, that logic does, doesn't seem to work, but, uh, you know, right now I've got to get through the House. If I get, if I get out of committee, uh, then, you know, I'm anticipating it's going to have to be, you know, Republicans, uh, but uh, would certainly welcome Democrat help if they could, uh, you know, as they begin to understand what really happens in the bill, that uh, they may be able to reassess their position. Uh, Senator Thune and Ranking Member Peterson had suggestions for more land in the CRP funded by smaller payouts. Is that up for debate? Uh, no, it's in the bill. We stair-stepped the acreage up to 29 million acres at the end of the process. We reduced the rental rates and, and in a way to accommodate that. The race had started down as, as a result of the, the way the mechanism worked, but it didn't come down quick enough because commodity prices dropped faster than what the race came down. So, yes, we're going to increase acreage. Uh, acreage is going to be focused on working grasslands, acreage, and those kind of things targeted toward uh, lands that, uh, that we want this program going to. So Colin, again, had great input in that program and got it the way he wanted it at the time that we made the deal. So this is another one of those areas where Colin got what he asked for in terms of uh, CRP. What do you gain by folding the conservation stewardship program into EQUIP? Better use of the money. All the conservation stewardship programs, they run off under normal circumstances, so nobody gets anything taken away from them. There won't be the renewals that they might have been expecting. But uh, we just believe, I believe, that EQUIP is a much better use of taxpayer dollars and is better focused, and so we wanted to concentrate the dollars there 
rather than uh, maintaining the CSP program. Mr. Chairman, you mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, and I want to come back to it. There's plenty of concern about trade tariffs and retaliation among producers and in the marketplace of the industry. Can the Trump administration administer a program with Section 5 and Section 32 that would complement your farm bill proposal? And they seem to suggest that it is a very difficult task. It's a difficult task, but they're going to be a lot more nimble, and quite frankly, they may very well need to be at the table quicker than we get the farm bill done. Sonny Purdue, I've got immense trust in him. He's doing a great job over there. He will use these tools appropriately. And so as the data begins to accumulate on where the stresses and strains are within production agriculture, what sections are being hammered the worst. I know that uh, sorghum prices are down, pork futures are down. He'll be gathering that information, and he's going to be much more nimble at going to the rescue, so to speak, of folks than, uh, than this farm bill process. At best, the farm bill would take effect in October of this year, you know, another six months out. So he'll be probably using those tools or have the opportunity to use those tools before the president will sign this bill. With regard to the U.S. and China, is the administration's attitude toward China, toward NAFTA, toward other trading partners, is this the right measure right now? Well, the president is going to get us a better trade deals, but in the meantime, the bite that's happening right now is that sorghum prices have dropped as well as uh, uh, pork futures. So those are real-world consequences of people in the fight right this second. The White House, the president's got great advisors over there, Lighthouser and, and uh, Ray Starling and others. They're keeping the president informed of, the, of what's happening to the citizens that are trying to absorb these body blows, so to speak, while we get these trade deals redone. On the other side of the trade deals, getting them done, if we've got tariffs dropped out of China that are they're way too high today, China is not a developing country. It is developed. It is not an agrarian society the way it may have been in the past. And so there are legitimate reasons why we need these trade deals redone and the tariffs, uh, you know, the fight that the president's having. But in the meantime, I keep uh, trying to remind anybody who'll listen, you know, don't screw it up, Mr. President, and, and get it done as quick as you can because there are, in fact, day-to-day consequences to good people out in the countryside. Mr. Chairman, the administration is leading discussions on possible amendments to the renewable fuel standard. Is that the right approach, or should that be left for the Congress? One, it's not a part of the Farm Bill. I don't have jurisdiction. It's over in the uh, Energy Commerce. Uh, The renewable fuel standard is unworkable. We are not going to get to 36 billion gallons of ethanol uh, under the time frame. So there are things that need to happen in that regard. And, uh, and it, there may be some combination of both. I know there's conversations among, you know, folks like Joe Barton and, and John Shimkus and me and others as to what could be done now to, uh, be respectful of the investments that have been made in, uh, in ethanol refineries to allow the, those investors to, to, who relied on a federal program to make sure that they're not hurt, but also letting the market be more of a driver in where we go from here forward. But it's a policy that does need to get redone, and I think you're going to wind up with some combination. But, at the end of the day, Congress is going to have to come to grips with it on a, on a more fulsome basis than what I think the administration can do with. You're on the eve of one of the biggest tasks that you pointed from the beginning, that you would deliver a farm bill on time. What are your thoughts for those in the chamber who vote for it and those of the countryside that will be affected by it as, as you begin this journey? Well, the story of production agriculture in America, as, as most of us have said over and over, is that the American consumer, all of those of us who eat every day, have the safest, most abundant, and affordable food and fiber supply of any developed nation in the world. That is something to be really proud of. Fifty percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Their cost of food is a big deal. And so getting this thing done, getting 
the, uh, the assurance of what that next five-year farm pro- programs will look like is really important. Right, wrong, or indifferent, most folks can deal with the, with the facts as opposed to uncertainty. They would prefer that. Most of the folks in the, that I get to represent don't want a lot of drama associated with this. They want it done and signed by the president so that on October 1st it uh, moves forward. That resonates with me in a, in a strong way. You know, I think about that mom out there who's dealing with the budget. The, her food budget is where she has to flex. The house payment doesn't change. The car payment doesn't change. So if something comes up in the middle of the month that's unexpected, it comes out of her food budget, and then by the end of the month, she's having to buy the cheapest calories she can find, not the best calories. I don't want to make her job any harder by screwing this up, raising the cost of food to the American consumer. That impacts the SNAP folks even more than uh, than everybody else because we want those SNAP dollars going as far as they possibly can to buy the best calories for folks that, that can be bought. So a lot of good reasons to make this happen. You know, I got asked the question a little differently about uh, you know being partisan or bipartisan. My my comment was, you know, I will stand on the floor once the debate's finished and once the lights go on and we start voting and those red and green lights go on that board up behind the speakers across that wall. The green lights will say, I stand with Production America. I stand to try to help them with this 50% drop in net farm income over the last five years. I stand with SNAP recipients who deserve a better path to success to going forward. The red lights will simply say, I don't stand with those folks. There will not be Republicans on, on the board up there. There won't be Democrats on the board. They'll just be red and green, and that's the count. And it gets to 218, I'm going to be some kind of happy camper and moving this thing forward. But at the end of the day... Every member gets to decide for themselves who they're going to stand with in this fight. Mr. Chairman, you've been very gracious to offer us time, and we thank you for being a part of the program here on Open Mic with AgriPulse. In the tradition of Open Mic, you have an open forum, sir, in the last word. Well, just uh, we got great work to be done. I'm proud of my committee. I'm proud of the three years' worth of work, 114 hearings, 21 of them alone on SNAP. Uh, most of what we did was bipartisan. The non-SNAP features of the bill reflect the bipartisan work that you would normally expect out of the committee. Uh, we just have a little bit of dust up on SNAP, and I hope that over the next several days, as people see what our SNAP proposals are, that they will understand that they've been misled intentionally or unintentionally over the last four weeks as to what we're trying to get done. Our thanks to House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conaway, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly. 